0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Turn to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach Pro, I am the host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the Final Four, which somehow, some way, will be on Monday night. We will have the National Championship game, but don't worry, you know we are going to be continuing this podcast, Talking Basketball. Throughout the offseason, and already we have some major, major news waves in the offseason, but we are now just over 24 hours away from the Final Four. And I totally understand, right? This is one of the most wacky, bizarre Final Fours I remember in terms of teams. But when you look deeper and deeper into it and the programs and the teams just based on what they've done this season, the more you look at it, the more you squint, it does make a little bit of sense that these four teams are here, and I have a few thoughts on just how unprecedented this Final Four is. So I think there are a couple of stats that really illustrate just how crazy this Final Four is in terms of the teams participating, in terms of their name. This is the first Final Four ever without a number one, number two, or number three seed. If you remember back in 2011, UConn they actually won the national title that year in Houston, the same city that this year's final four will be in. They won that and they beat Butler in the national championship game, who was an eight seed. I will pull up that exact final four right now. And what the teams were in terms of uh, their seating, but UConn in 2011 ended up winning the whole thing. The other teams in the final four that season were number four seed, Kentucky, number 11 seed VCU and number eight seed Butler. So those were pretty high in terms of the number of seeds, but you at least had a three seed. And this year we do not have that. A few thoughts on UConn, right? The Huskies with a win in not only Saturday's game against Miami, but a win on Monday night to bring, which would bring home their fifth national championship all since 1999. I think that victory may put UConn in the argument, in the category of a blue blood. And I understand the argument against it, right? If you're a blue blood, you have the best coaches in the country. You're winning championships. You're playing at an elite level. And as soon as that coach leaves, that immediately continues. I think Duke is in that category based on what we saw with Coach K. I know John Shire only made it to the round of 32. But as soon as one of the best coaches in the history of college basketball leaves, Duke still has... One of the best recruiting classes in the country, probably the best recruiting class in the country this past year. And they'll have the same this year. And the Blue Devils have gotten some pretty good news over the course of the last 48 hours with both Tyrese Proctor and Mark Mitchell, uh, both freshmen, announcing that they will be coming back to school next season, which is always big news for Duke. But UConn, they have a chance to really cement themselves as one of the elite programs in all of college basketball with a win on not only Saturday, but Monday night. And we spoke a little bit about this on Monday's show. People don't remember and people don't realize just how bad of a position UConn and this job was when Dan Hurley first got there. They were not in the Big East. And the best, most notable day, Dan Hurley will tell you this himself, of his UConn tenure was the day in the summer of 2020 when UConn announced that they will be heading back to the Big East because that allowed Dan Hurley to sell to some of his recruits, okay, We're going to be playing at Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament. And we're going to be playing against teams like Villanova and Georgetown, some of our most historic rivals that UConn basketball was built on. And since UConn moved to the Big East, they've made three straight NCAA tournaments. Now, this is their only deep tournament run so far. Before this season, Dan Hurley had not won an NCAA tournament game in his time coaching UConn. And it's still crazy to remember that the Huskies were down one point at the half of their first NCAA tournament game against Iona. That really just shows you how great, how elite of a coach Rick Patino is. And he will be seeing a lot more of UConn in the big East as he is the new head coach of St. John's and the Johnnies already have a ton of, of recruiting moves, ins and outs, guys entering the entering the transfer portal. There have been seven Saint John's players so far that have entered the portal, including AJ Store, who's a really nice young player. Patino cleaning house already, but this is also the first Final Four since 1979. That was also the same year that they started seeding these teams in the NCAA tournament. This is the first Final Four since 1979 without a single McDonald's All American, and you give credit to heat check CBB the five highest ranked recruits participating in this final four Donovan Klingin, the number 37 ranked recruit from UConn Samson Johnson, number 47 ranked recruit from UConn Andre uh, Jackson was number 50. He's from UConn Jordan Hawkins, 48 from UConn and Harlan Beverly number 56. He's the only non Husky player that will be participating in the final four who is a former top 100 recruit. So we are seeing in college basketball today, especially in the year of the extra COVID year, especially in the first few years of NIL and the transfer portal, where you'll only, you don't even have to sit out a year if you only transfer for the first time. If it's your first time transferring, then you don't even have to sit out a season, which makes a big difference. And the other thing about the four teams participating in the Final Four is, that really stands out to me is this will be three of the four programs there, obviously Florida Atlantic, San Diego state and Miami for those three programs. It is their first time participating in the final four. And the last time that happened where we had three new blood programs to the final four that are making their debut at this stage in the tournament that hasn't happened since 1970. Only UConn has been here before. I'll go a little bit deeper on San Diego state and Florida Atlantic. The Aztecs hadn't been to the Elite Eight in program history prior to this season. The the furthest they've been in the NCAA tournament prior to this season was the Sweet 16. There was a major narrative, and rightfully so, going into this tournament about the Mountain West and the fact that prior to San Diego State and their opening round victory over uh, the College of Charleston, no Mountain West team had won an NCAA tournament game prior to Nevada, In 2018, that was the last time a Mountain West team won a tournament game prior to this season, and even the three teams that made it this year really did not play well in the NCAA tournament, and they all lost their first round game, and the Aztecs are the only team in the history of Mountain West to not only make the Elite Eight, but also make a Final Four, so congratulations to Brian Dutcher, Steve Fisher, and everyone involved and around that program They were working really hard for it. This is a team in 2020 that had a legitimate chance to win it all. Unfortunately, we know what happened. The rest of the season ended up getting postponed uh, due to the the COVID-19 pandemic breaking out. So really happy to see San Diego State here. And even Florida Atlantic. This school hadn't even won in a single NCAA tournament game prior to the start of this tournament. And now they're only two wins away from winning a national championship. It is wild because I mentioned this also on I believe Monday's show every time I watch FAU play the more and more impressed I am with them because they have the ability to adjust to any style of basketball that they're going to be playing against and they just find a way to make shots and get it done I think that is a big reason why Dusty May and the way he built this roster it's been really effective and I think more teams are really going to start Building their roster the same way, because they literally have four players, four guards on the floor at all times that could shoot the basketball, which is very tough to guard. And when you have a really good, effective big man in Vlad Golden, Rosado off the bench, he's been playing well, and this team is just so hard to guard. Eventually, they started making some shots against Tennessee. They really controlled the game for the majority of against kansas state but turnovers really were the only thing that were keeping the wildcats in that game if it wa- if florida atlantic could have taken care of the ball i feel like they would have won that game against ksu pretty comfortably and i'll give you the exact number right now in that game against kansas state florida atlantic turned the ball over 22 times and kansas state was able to capitalize off of that with 30 points off turnovers. Think about that. 30 of the 76 Kansas State points came off turnovers. That's crazy. And San Diego State is a team in the half court that has had some struggles scoring the basketball. Now, the one key for San Diego State in this game that they're going to need if they want to win is Matt Bradley. And here's the wild thing about San Diego State here, right? So last year, the Aztecs had a really good season, right? They made the NCAA tournament, and they had a pretty big lead against Creighton, ironically, in their opening round game. They were up by eight with about a minute 30 to go, and Creighton finds a way to uh, pull off a crazy comeback victory, and thankfully the Aztecs were able to get some revenge on them in the NCAA tournament on Sunday in the Elite Eight. But the thing I remember most about San Diego State last season is how reliant they were on Matt Bradley. The transfer from Cal, he is one of the many fifth-year seniors for the San Diego State team that has really taken advantage of the COVID year. And for me as a viewer, it was always really easy to figure out if San Diego State was going to win or lose games last year because it would literally just come down to if Matt Bradley was making shots. And the craziest part of this San Diego State run is Matt Bradley hasn't even played particularly well. He really struggled in both of San Diego State's victories over Alabama Alabama. And Creighton in order to get the Aztecs to the final four but part of what makes Brian Dutcher such a great coach is he really prioritized this offseason of getting other scores around Bradley so the Aztecs just wouldn't have to worry and rely upon him each and every game and that is exactly why coach Dutcher brought in the Seattle transfer Darian Trammell who has really been the Aztecs key and most important player in order to get Here to the Final Four, Trammell hit the eventual game-winning free throw for San Diego State in the final seconds against Creighton. He finished that game with 12 points, but the big game for Trammell in an Aztecs uniform came against Alabama in the Sweet 16 when he scored 21 points, including an 8-0 run of his own when Alabama, uh, I believe they had a six-point lead, and Trammell really started cooking from there. So he's been really impressive, and if both Bradley and Trammell could score the basketball that is when this Aztec team is really hard to beat because we know there's not a better defensive team left in this field than the San Diego State Aztecs and I'm really curious to see how that matchup is against the FAU offense which is just really good and so hard to guard and when it comes to both these teams talking about this first game that will be happening in the final four it will tip off Saturday at 609 Eastern I think not only both of these teams playing, but any of the four teams that are going to be playing in Houston this weekend, I think they have a legitimate chance to win a national championship. And I know that the question everyone's asking themselves right now is UConn or the field. Can anyone not named UConn win this tournament? And a lot of that is based on just how well, and just how dominant the Huskies have been throughout this tournament, aside from their one half against Iona to kick off their NCAA tournament uh, run they've been dominant for this entire tournament, and they look pretty unbeatable right now. But at the same time, there's a reason why San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, and Miami is here. What if I told you that three of the four teams that are going to be participating in the Final Four this weekend have a banner for sure that they'll be hanging up? And technically, each team will have a Final Four banner, which they will be hanging up, which is really good, and and that's obviously great for the program. But I mean regular season banners that – We might have seen coming like, was there anything that these teams did in the regular season that showed us they're bound and they're worthy and that we shouldn't be shocked to see them in the final four? And my answer to that is each one of these teams showed us many times throughout the regular season that they were capable of doing this and going on long runs. San Diego State won both the Mountain West regular season and conference tournament title. And I know that everyone likes to dog on the Mountain West and say just how bad and how poorly it's performed in the NCAA tournament recently, especially if your name is not San Diego State. But at the same time, the Mountain West has been a really good league and a competitive league that has sent a handful of teams to the tournament over the course of the last few seasons. It's not an easy league to win and the travel is tough. The venues and opposing fan bases are really tough. And one game that really stands out to me about the San Diego State team that really made me realize and think like, okay, they might be good enough to go on a deep run in the NCAA tournament was actually a game they played pretty late in the season. I'll give you the exact day right now, but it was against New Mexico. And this is the same New Mexico Lobos team, Aztec fans will remember this, that went into Viejas Arena in the beginning of Mountain West play. And beat San Diego State. And that was the only home loss of the season for the Aztecs. Losing at Viejas Arena. One of the best home court advantages in the country. They lost that game on Saturday, January 14th to New Mexico. And fast forward later in the season. New Mexico was really slumping. But they still had a ton of talent. And they had a home game on another Saturday against San Diego State. This was... February 25th, and the Lobos needed this game if they had any chance to get in the NCAA tournament. And I know that Richard Petino is only in his second year, and ultimately when we look back at this New Mexico Lobos season, it's going to be pretty disappointing, especially considering just how well they started off the season. But this is a Lobos team that's super talented with Jamal Mashburn Jr., who in my opinion is a future NBA guard, Jalen House, Morris Udeze, Josiah Alec a rebounding machine the transfer from UMKC like this New Mexico team is pretty legit not to mention their home court advantage the pit is one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball and if New Mexico had any shot of getting in the NCAA tournament this is a game they needed to have New Mexico also going into this game they were just desperate they were losing a lot of close heartbreaking games and the Lobos controlled this game for the most part. The the Aztecs played well in the second half. And in a very close game down the stretch, Lamont Butler hits a pull-up three in transition to give the Aztecs the win at the buzzer. And basically, he ended New Mexico's tournament dreams. If you ask any Lobo fan right now what went wrong this season, they're going to say a lot of things. But the main image that they probably still have in their head is Lamont Butler pulling up in transition to just bury a three and really end their tournament hopes. And I want to give a shout out to Lamont Butler. I think he's the perfect example of just why the San Diego state program under Brian Dutcher is so good. This is Butler's third year in the program. And I remember him as a freshman and even a little bit as a sophomore last season He was always a really good defender, but struggled a lot on the offensive end, especially early on in his career. That's really the common theme with a lot of these San Diego State players in the system. But his offense has really improved throughout his time in San Diego, and he plays really under control. Like he is a legitimate ball handling point guard that always seems like he's going to make the right decision with the ball in his hands, which is something no one could have ever said about him during his freshman year and his time as a young player. And he was great for the Aztecs against Creighton. I would say in that Elite Eight game, he was probably the Aztecs' best player on the floor. And he hit that buzzer beater on the road at New Mexico to give the Aztecs the win in that game. And that moment made me realize, like, wow, this Aztec team, it might be a little bit different than years past. They could actually score the ball. They're going on the road into tough environments and getting the win. San Diego State also went into Utah State earlier in the season. That's an NCAA tournament team. That's a really tough place to play. And they really won that game pretty comfortably. So we should not be surprised that San Diego state is here. I always thought that South region besides Alabama was pretty open. Like Alabama was the team I picked to come out. Obviously they were the number one overall seed. They played great going into selection Sunday for the three days in the SEC tournament, but they had a really bad shooting day against San Diego State, which could happen to you when you play that style of a uh, three-year layup analytically like Nate Oates likes to do. And the Crimson Tide had a bad day. The Aztecs, their defense had a lot to do with it. They were really able to take advantage. And the point I'm trying to make is we should not be surprised this Aztec team is in the Final Four. They're that good, and San Diego State is now just two victories away from their first national title in program history. And when you look at the Aztecs as well, if Alabama was going to go down, I thought any team could win this region. Now, Arizona was the number two seed. Did I think they were going to lose to Princeton? No, but I did think they were pretty vulnerable. Baylor, they were the number three seed. I expected them to be knocked out early. That team really struggled on the defensive end throughout the season. You love San Diego State as the five seed, but Virginia, come on. I think we all knew that team was not really capable of going on a deep run and winning three or four games in the NCAA tournament. You also had Missouri as the number seven seed, a really good team, a really good story, but we saw what happened to them against Princeton. And Creighton was the other team who was right there with San Diego state down the stretch. But in my opinion, the blue Jays were too inconsistent all season to really be a final four team as great of a job that Greg McDermott has done with this group over the course of the last two years even despite the call, which I still think was a good call. I don't think Creighton lost that game on Sunday because of the referees. They lost the game because they shot two of 19 from three. They could not hit a shot. Their offense was just spooked by the San Diego State defense, which they love to do to all their opponents. And the Aztecs won the South region. It's as simple as that. I think they were the more deserving team. They deserve to be here. And I'm not shocked that the Mountain West regular season and conference tournament champions are here in Houston. The team that San Diego State will be playing is Dusty Mays, FAU Owls, who won the East Regional last weekend. I was there at Madison Square Garden uh, for their victory over Kansas State. It was a great experience being there, being around the team. And FAU is another one where the more I watch them, the more impressed I am with them. It doesn't feel like a fluke to me. And this is a team that won over 30 games. And they're so hard to guard. I'm just so fascinated. I'm so intrigued by the matchup between their offense, which is really good and the San Diego State defense, which is also really good. There was some news on Dusty May that dropped yesterday. According to Matt Norlander of CBS Sports, Dusty May is going to be staying at FAU and will sign a lucrative long-term contract after the Final Four. FAU has also more than $10 million to invest in facilities, plus the arena this offseason and the years to come. It's funny because uh, I was listening to Field the 68, the other night, and Matt McCall, who is one of their hosts, and he's a former D1 coach, obviously. He was an assistant at Florida Atlantic way back in the day in 2008. And he was talking about how he actually came back there to do a game as part of the broadcast team this season. And he said everything looked the same from when he was there in 2008, like the facilities didn't change at all, which is just crazy and shows you how wild the fact that this FAU team is this good and the fact that they're here, like they literally didn't win a tournament game in their program's history prior to this season. And the NCAA tournament is so wild because Memphis had the ball with the one point lead with about 15 seconds to go in that tournament game. They force a clutch turnover. Nick Boyd hits the layup to give the Owls the win. And that was really So far, their toughest test of the entire tournament. And I've been really, really impressed with them. And they're just two wins away from a national championship. And I'm going to say right now, guys, I'll give you the official prediction for this game. I think FAU is going to beat San Diego State. Right now, the Aztecs are about a two-point favorite. And don't get me wrong. I have so much respect for Brian Dutcher and everything that he has done with the San Diego State program. But my thing with the Aztecs is, and, and a lot of this has to do with their defense and how good it is. But when you face teams in the NCAA tournament, right, especially when you're going far and deep, you're facing really good team after really good team after really good team. And the one thing about San Diego State, right, if you look at their opponents and how they've shot the ball from three so far in the tournament, listen to this, Charleston, their first tournament game shoots five of 24 from three. That's 21%. Okay, one game probably has a lot to do with San Diego State's defense being really good their next game of the tournament was in the round of 32 against Furman. They shoot 6 of 26 from 3. That's 23%. The Alabama game in the Sweet 16, the Crimson Tide shoot 3 of 27 from 3. That's 11%. And the Creighton game, the Blue Jays, who are usually a very good three-point shooting team, and I know a lot of these numbers has to do with the Aztecs and just how good their defense is. But Creighton in this game shoots two of 17 from three, that's 12%. So the highest percentage-wise that a team has shot in three-point range against San Diego State, Ehrman shot six of 26 from three, that's 23%. That is the highest any team has shot against San Diego State in the tournament. And the one thing about FAU They haven't shot the ball great throughout this tournament either, but you know they're capable of making them. Like, they've had some stretches, right, against uh, Tennessee in the second half when they had a deficit and they hit some clutch threes. Michael Forrest is the first name that comes to mind, just the veteran of this FAU team, the first commit that Dusty May got to come to Boca Raton. Michael Forrest, he hit some big threes. And that's another thing about Dusty May, I have to say. You guys realize that this dude, when he took the FAU job, and he first got there, and he saw just how bad the facilities were, he cried because he thought he committed, and this is an exact quote from him, career suicide. He thought it was that bad, and now, just five years later, he has this team in the Final Four. The Owls are also 11-1 in games decided by five points or less. So I think the FAU guards are going to do enough in this game to score and get the job done. Give me the owls to go to the national championship game. The next game, of course, UConn and Miami. UConn is the number four seed. Miami is the number five seed. And I'll say this about Miami. I think when they got to the Elite Eight last season, right? And this is by no fault of their own. As a matter of fact, they deserve credit for this because they were able to take advantage. But when Miami got to the Elite Eight last year, it felt a little fooky to me. And I'm not saying that as an insult. I'm just being completely honest. They were very fortunate to beat USC. That was a 50-50, very close game. A couple calls went their way down the stretch. That game could have gone either way. So Miami beats USC. They then draw an Auburn team. And by the way, Miami was a number 10 seed last year when they made the Elite Eight. That's a big difference compared to this year when they got a number five seed. They then beat an Auburn team last year who at one point was the number one ranked team in the country. But if you watch them throughout the back end of last season, they were kind of like Purdue this year. They were not playing like a number two seed. The only reason why they were seated that high is based on a lot of they work, a lot of the work they did early in the non-conference portion of their schedule, which is good. Like that counts and Auburn deserved a number two seed. But Miami got a break and they took advantage of it. Miami smacked Auburn in that game. It wasn't really close. They then draw Iowa State, who is a number 11 seed, in T.J. Otzelberger's first year of coaching the Cyclones. Miami was able to take advantage of that. They beat Iowa State. And then the one time they faced a really good and dominant team, Kansas, of course, the team that ended up winning the whole thing last year, Miami's run was over, and they got blown out. This year, though, that's been the opposite. Miami has literally had the most difficult path to get to this Final Four of any of the other three teams that are going to be in Houston, right? Miami, kind of similar to FAU. They were looking dead in their first round tournament game against Drake. They were down by seven with five minutes to play, but ended the game on a 15-1 to one run. That's what good veteran experienced guards could do for you. And Miami beat Drake down the stretch, and they moved on to the round of 32. They really outplayed Indiana, the number four seed in that region, uh, in the round of 32. And that's a good Indiana team with Trace Jackson Davis and Shapino who, ironically, breaking news about five minutes ago, to no one's surprise, declared for the NBA draft. But then in Kansas City last weekend, Miami has the two teams from Texas, Houston and Texas. And I'm not going to lie to you guys, in my bracket, I thought those two teams were on a collision course to play. Now, after watching Houston against northern kentucky in their opening tournament game and watching them against auburn i wasn't shocked miami won in the sweet 16 but going into the tournament i expected miami to lose to drake in their opening round game i thought that was going to be it for the hurricanes but that's how crazy this bracket in this tournament is just one result like that could just change everyone's fortunes in a big big way so miami they dominate houston that game didn't feel particularly close. Miami by far and away was the better team. But then you have the Texas game. And Texas, I was really impressed with what they were able to do against Xavier. They really dominated that game from start to finish. It it never felt like it was in jeopardy at all. And that's also how the first 25, 28, 30 minutes felt in their game against um, Miami on Sunday. Texas literally could not miss from three in the first half they're hitting every shot. Miami, they find themselves down 13 with about 13 minutes left and they end the game on a 37 to 17 run. And the craziest part about this run is Miami didn't even hit a 3 in the second half. They were just so good at getting into the lane and finishing at the rim. And I know Texas doesn't have a true rim protector and it also didn't help that Dylan Desu, who had been playing phenomenal basketball going into this game. He wasn't healthy. He didn't play in that contest against Miami. And the Canes were able to take advantage of that. Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, Nigel Pack all played great. And the Hurricanes were able to leave Louisville as the Midwest regional champions. So when you look at this Miami team, I'm trying to figure out if that's sustainable in their final four game against UConn. They're going to have to make some threes, no doubt about that. And Jordan Miller... I'm going to say it's pretty unlikely that he shoots perfect from the field and the free throw line, but he's capable of having a big game. The key for Miami is going to be Norshad Omier, who has been a monster for the Hurricanes in this tournament run. Of course, him and Nigel Pack are the two faces of NIL. And really, when you think of NIL, this entire Miami team is going to be something that you think about, considering the fact that... Earlier in the offseason when NIL was first really becoming a thing, John Ruiz, a big booster for Miami, the CEO of Life Wallet, his offer to Nigel Pack of about forty thousand or four hundred thousand dollars a year, that went viral. And people found out about it, including Isaiah Wong, who was a Miami guard already on the team that got the Hurricanes to the Elite Eight last year. He wasn't too happy about it. He goes in the transfer portal, or at least threatens to for about five minutes, but he's back. They paid Omir, and somehow this hasn't been an issue or a distraction in the locker room. And Jim Laranaga, the Canes head coach, deserves a lot of credit for that. He's been around the game of basketball for a really long time. Of course, we remember him as the coach of George Mason in 2006 when the Patriots were able to go on a miraculous run to the Final Four and beat UConn in the Elite Eight to get there. This is going to be his second Final Four. He is the only coach that will be on the sidelines in Houston this weekend that has experience as a Final Four coach. And I think Miami's journey has just been really impressive because I have been one of those people that has just forgotten about the ACC, especially like my thing with the ACC this year was they were like low-key under the radar teams I liked that I think could win a game or two in the tournament. I'll be honest, Miami wasn't one of them. I thought eventually – their defense was really going to catch up to them in some point in this tournament. And it just hasn't yet. Their, their defense has been pesky. It's been effective and they they're just scoring enough. It, it seems to me like their best defense is just scoring more points on the offensive end, which I don't know if that's something that's sustainable that you could rely on, but Hey, it's gotten them to the final four. It's worked so far and When I looked at the ACC, I I looked at teams like Pittsburgh. I looked at teams like NC State. Now, Pitt did win two tournament games, but teams that are kind of similar built to Miami with good veteran guards may not be great on the defensive end, but I I owe this Miami team a big apology. I I counted them for dead at many times throughout the season. Remember, they lost at home to Florida State on a buzzer beater. Do we remember how bad that Florida State team was? Because – I really do. So when you look at the Seminole team, the fact that they were able to go into Miami and win, after that, I-, I counted the Hurricanes left for dead. And unfortunately for Texas, for Houston, for Drake, for Indiana, here the Hurricanes are in the Final Four, and they've done it going through the most difficult road possible. The team they will be playing is the Yukon Huskies, who are the overall favorite to win this thing. I mentioned this earlier in the show, but a common conversation going on right now is UConn or the field. You would have to lay money in Vegas if you want uh, the UConn Huskies on the Betfred Sportsbook to win the national championship. And I think that's fair. I think that's appropriate. I think that's accurate. Because this Husky team throughout this tournament has just been dominant. They've been really good. And we knew they had it in them, right? For the first few months of the season, UConn by far and away was the best team in college basketball They did hit a little bit of a wall during Biggie's conference play, but that is the most ideal time to hit a wall. And no one knows that better than this UConn Husky program, who many times over the course of the last two decades, when they've won their national championships, they've had a very similar road and a similar path to this, where they hit their stride early, look really good throughout non-conference play, hit a wall in conference play, and next thing you know, They're playing their best basketball at the most ideal time, and they're only two wins away from a national championship. And if you look at the teams that UConn beat during their non-conference portion of the schedule, they beat Oregon by 24 in the pk 85. And I know this isn't vintage Dana Altman, Oregon, but that's still a really good team with some talent early in the season. UConn beats them by that much. That's impressive. Alabama, you you know, the team that was the number one overall seed in this tournament, that won the SEC regular season and conference tournament title, Alabama at the PK80 lost to UConn by 15 points. Iowa State, a team that was really good at the top of the Big 12, a team that was fresh off a victory over number one at the time, North Carolina. UConn beat Iowa State 71-53 to in the championship of the PK85, and the craziest thing about that game was I felt like UConn didn't even play their best. I I feel like it wasn't even a great night for UConn. Looking at the numbers here, they shot 42% from the field and 27% from three in that game, and they were still able to win by 18 points. That's impressive. They also beat Oklahoma State, who just missed the tournament. They beat Florida on the road by 19. Really impressive stuff. And UConn still has not lost a non-conference game this season. If you look at their complete body of work, they are... Uh, 15-0 during games against non-conference opponents, that's really impressive. And Dan Hurley deserves a lot of credit considering where this Husky program was when he first took over. Adama Sanogo, a guy that I've been a little bit harsh on, not saying he's not a really good player, but I really didn't know if he had this in him and he's been playing the best basketball of his career. If Jordan Hawkins is making shots and he's playing like a top 15, top 10 NBA draft pick like we all know he's capable of doing that makes this UConn team really hard to stop Andre Jackson he's been in this program for a handful of years now who's a legitimate leader a guy that's been through all the battles a guy that's been through all the wars he has been awesome in this tournament he's stepping up in a big way and Dan Hurley a guy who has never been to a second weekend at either UConn or Rhode Island prior to this year he finally gets over the hump he gets them to the final four and UConn has to be considered the team to beat and the overall favorite going into this weekend. Now, I do think each of the other three teams are very capable. I think they'll have a chance, but I do think UConn is going to beat Miami. Six points, uh, five and a half points right now is the line. I think that's an interesting number. I think that's about right. It's interesting to me that it hasn't moved at all either, but knowing UConn and the history of their program, the fact that they've won an NCAA championship in Houston before that's all I need to at least pick them over Miami on Saturday night. I think we're going to get a or FAU-UConn national championship. And just to show you guys how much I believe in FAU, like I'm not confident that I would pick the Huskies to win that game just yet. I want to see what happens on Saturday, but I'm really looking forward to this final four. I, I think considering the teams that are playing, a lot of people are going to look at it and say, why would I watch this? This isn't good for college basketball. But if you've watched FAU throughout this tournament, if you've watched um San Diego State throughout this tournament, you know they're really good. Obviously, UConn and Miami were a little bit more familiar with them playing in power six leagues. But I'm really looking forward to this final four. I think it's gonna be really fun, really exciting basketball. And no matter who's playing in the final four, if you get close competitive quality games, people will talk about it. The ratings for the first round of the NCAA tournament were at an all-time high. I don't think that's going to just drop out of nowhere. So I'm really looking forward to this Final Four. It should be a really fun weekend in Houston. And congratulations again to all four teams, all four coaches. They're going to be participating. I can't wait to check it out. That was another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sports. My name is Zach crow I'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone enjoy your weekend. And everyone enjoy the Final Four.